0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and study it to learn how to serve and glorify Him as Christians and as local congregations. In 2005 at the Franklin Church of Christ, we spent a great deal of time studying the Jerusalem Church. That congregation is one of the most victorious and successful churches of all times. And if we can do what they did, we can be what they were. Over 2005, we've looked at several aspects of their success. If you haven't listened to any of the other lessons about the Jerusalem Church, please go to our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com, and download those lessons as well. The key that we're going to be looking at in this lesson is the fact that the Jerusalem Church did not rely on free agents. I know you're wondering, what on earth does that mean? Well, keep listening as we take a look at how the Jerusalem Church accomplished its work and accomplished God's work by relying on the farm team and not free agents. Open your Bibles and study along. Since the beginning of this year, we've examined the Jerusalem church and the various things that made that congregation such a successful and victorious body of Christ. And as we take a look at that congregation, we recognize that the greatest indication of their success It's not really so much the size that they had, although they were immense, but rather the greatest indication of their success was that no matter what circumstances they were in, they were constantly growing. When things were peaceful, they were growing. When things were hectic, they were growing. Even after they had been persecuted and just about everybody sent out of the city, the congregation there continued to grow. And so we've taken a look at some of the things that made them successful since the beginning of this year. And we recognize that they were continually devoted to worship. That they were of one heart and one soul. They were united. That they aggressively dealt with problems. They lost no one in the crowd. They knew that nobody could do everything. They were bold in the face of rejection. And the next key that we learned about the church at Jerusalem was the fact that they didn't rely on free agents. They did not rely on the free agents. And I want us to talk about that concept this morning. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer? Glorious God and Father in Heaven, we are humbled in Your presence. We're so thankful because of Your mercy and grace through Your Son Jesus and His blood that washes our sins away as we have remembered that through this supper and the memorial that You've left. We pray, Father, that throughout our time of worship here today, our hearts are devoted to You, that we recognize what You've done for us, that we glorify and honor You because You're worthy of all praise and all honor and all majesty and glory. Father, we pray that You help us as we study study Your Word today that we might understand better how the work of Your church ought to be conducted, that we might be a successful and victorious body of Yours that spreads the borders of Your kingdom here in this Middle Tennessee area, and that we might also impact the, the world all over with the work that we're able to accomplish. And Father, we praise Your name and ask that You would strengthen us to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think by the power working in us. And we pray that You would help us to be Your tools and be useful in Your sight, equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I talk about the idea of not using the free agent system, uh, this is really kind of a hard thing for me to talk about, because really I'm talking about something that that I've, I've been involved in. And I believe that we have developed a sort of system, and I don't think that what we're doing is unscriptural. We'll talk about that in a few moments, but... I'm just not sure that the system that we have developed exactly mirrors what we see happening in the Jerusalem church. Today, among brethren and among churches of Christ here in the United States, we've almost developed a system or a class of evangelists, folks that have been trained up or decided to devote their lives to, and then they basically get traded back and forth among the congregations like a free agent pitcher or quarterback. Uh, a team loses their preacher and so they start hunting for another preacher that's going to fill that slot. Or a preacher gets fired or decides that things have gotten rough and he wants to leave. Or maybe, well, I'm just not doing any good there anymore and so it's time for me to move on. And then they start looking for another team to work as a preacher with. And I'm not saying that there's anything unscriptural with, with all that going on. I'm just saying that that doesn't seem to be the norm when we look to the Scripture. Certainly it is scriptural. For a preacher to decide that he wants to work at a certain place and to go there. We look in Romans chapter 1 and verse 13. I've got to be very careful that nobody thinks I'm saying we're doing anything unscriptural with what we've done. I'm just not sure what we're doing is the best way. In Romans 1.13... Paul said, talking to the Romans, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been pre- prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul is saying, I have wanted to come and work with the church at Rome and bear fruit there. That's, that's been one of his goals. We recognize in Paul's life that he spent time in Corinth. He spent, we know, three years in Ephesus. And so Paul would go places where he wanted to work and, and would leave other places to do that. We recognize that. Also recognize that it's perfectly legitimate and scriptural for a particular congregation to actually want a particular worker to come and work with them and and to go get them and bring them in. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. When Barnabas had been sent by Jerusalem to work with the Antioch church, in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So there's the idea of of a congregation or uh, the leadership in that congregation saying... We think this is the guy who can help us, and so we're going to go get him. And they bring him in. So there's there's nothing wrong as far as scripturally or, or sinful with any of that. My only point is, when we look at the scripture, I think we find that as the exception. It's not the norm. They did that some, and certainly Paul traveled around, and Paul took folks with him, but But the norm was not to look for a class of men who were really good preachers and have them traded back and forth among the congregation to make sure that the work of evangelism was done. The norm, instead of relying on free agents, was to work on the farm team. They would develop the folks at home in the congregation in order to be able to do the work. And while throughout this lesson we're going to be talking mostly just about the concept of evangelism and evangelists, we recognize that that really this was the way they dealt with all the work of the congregation. For instance, you go back to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, when they were having the problem there with the widows who were being overlooked, where did those seven men that were full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit and of good reputation come from? There in Acts chapter 6, they were told by the apostles, Search out among you, verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. They found these men from among their own ranks. They didn't go out and try to find somebody else that they could bring in and put in the ministry of widows uh, to, to accomplish that work. They looked among them and said, Who do we have here that's been developed enough, whether it was through some specific training program or because these men had grown on their own through serving God, they, they looked among themselves and the folks that they had developed within the work that they were doing and brought them to, and, and appointed them to do the work, we should say. And we take a look at folks like Stephen and Philip, two of these men in this list of seven were apparently developed or equipped or they trained themselves in order to be able to do the work of evangelists because we have in there later in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the Freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Here's... Somebody in the midst that had been trained up and equipped to be a teacher and to be able to defend the faith against others. And another of those seven men, Philip, we find in Acts chapter 8, after folks have been scattered, he goes down to Samaria. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. Here's another man among their midst that had been developed up to teach the gospel and trained and equipped to be able to go about doing that sort of thing. And so we recognize that these folks worked within their congregation to develop people to be able to accomplish the work. They weren't relying on some professional class of folks who had had gone through some type of professional training or whatever. They were just working within their congregation and, and doing this work. I think that's the kind of congregation that we need to be. I think that's the kind of thing that we need to be working on. I think that's the kind of thing that we want to be working on. We need to be a congregation that, instead of having to look outside and find folks who can come in and get the work done for us, we need to be folks who are looking inside and developing folks up to accomplish the work, whether it's the work of evangelist or deacon or Bible class teacher or or, uh, elder, whatever the work could be. We need to be looking within. And instead of relying on some professional class out there, relying on the free agents, we need to be relying on the farm team and, and training one another and building one another up so that we can accomplish that sort of work. But in order to do that, I think there are certain mindsets that have been established as we've gone through basically our practice and the way we typically do, there's certain mindsets that we're going to have to overcome if we're not going to rely on the free agents. I'd just like to talk about four of those. And this is not me telling you you have to overcome this. This is me telling me and us that, that there are certain things that I think we've developed in our mindset that we've got to get rid of in order to be the kind of church that Jerusalem was, developing one another here to accomplish that work. We're going to have to get past the one evangelist mindset. There are some churches that have gotten past that. They've gone to the two evangelist mindset. After all, there's two services typically on Sunday, and so we can have one preach in the morning and one preach in the evening, and everything will be okay. And we'll, we'll, but it's basically, it's the same mindset. The idea that, basically, the idea is that, well, it's the evangelist's job to preach the sermons, and we only have two of those a week, so we really don't need that many evangelists. But that's not what we find happening in the New Testament. In fact, in the Jerusalem church, from the very beginning, we're well aware that they had 12 evangelists. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them. From the very beginning, before this church was even established, they had twelve evangelists. We've already talked about Stephen and Philip who were apparently trained up to be able to do the work of evangelists. Philip is even at one time called Philip the evangelist. And so there's fourteen. If we look in Acts chapter 11 and verse 20... In Acts chapter 11 and verse 20, as Luke records what happened after the church at Jerusalem was dispersed, in Acts chapter 11 it says, "...but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus." Here were other people in the Jerusalem church that were trained up and ready when they were sent out. And of course here they weren't sent out by the Jerusalem church, they were sent out by the persecution They were forced to leave. They were ready to go out and start doing the work of evangelists and they were able to establish that congregation in Antioch. And apparently they stayed there and worked as evangelists or teachers. Uh, But they didn't limit this down to some idea of there's one or there's two or some limited number. They They were just evangelists. They were folks who were devoted to teaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and they worked with that church. Now, the problem that we have is we say, now wait a minute. How did they do this? Did they have 5 to 15 worship services every week to make sure that all those evangelists had the opportunity to preach a sermon? I don't think that's the way it worked at all. I think when we take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, we see something that was going on within those congregations. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, it says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. One of the things we find out is that the congregation, throughout the week, had times when there were folks who were just getting together on their own. Unofficially, it wasn't the church doing it, but they were getting together from house to house and they were praising God. I think that what they recognized is that the main work of the evangelists was not what happened up here. That certainly is a work that the evangelists can do and should do, but that's not the main thing. They had teaching and praising God that was going on from house to house throughout the week. And I think what we find is that these evangelists found that most of their work was done there. Look in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. That's certainly the way Paul viewed his work. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, Paul, as he was talking to the Ephesian elders, he talked about those years that he spent at Ephesus. He said, I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house. I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that we as Christians, the headquarters for our work in the body of Christ is not this building. Our headquarters for work as individuals is our home. And we ought to be having that venue where folks who are evangelists and teachers can be doing that job in our homes, having folks over. Maybe that's a way for evangelism, bringing in non-Christians. Maybe it's just something we're doing as, as Christians are getting together to study God's Word. But Paul certainly taught not only publicly, but also from house to house. Again, for that to happen, there are going to be folks that are willing to open their houses and set up this kind of, this kind of venue and this ability to, to discuss with the brethren. You Think about Lydia in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 15, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And then we know, of course, Paul and Silas get thrown into jail. But when that was done in verse 40, I mean, remember, Lydia has not been a Christian that long. In verse 40, they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Here, Lydia is opening her house to Paul and Silas and the brethren. And she's just a brand spanking new Christian. And one of the things that we find here is that when you have more folks that are devoted to teaching the Word of God, they're going to have to have places to be able to do that teaching. And there's certainly going to be opportunity for them to do that publicly. There's going to need to be opportunity for them to do that from house to house. Now let me also lay to rest one other issue here. Just because we have all these folks that are considered evangelists did not necessarily mean that they were all being fully supported by the congregation. The issue of being, the, being an evangelist did not necessarily mean receiving a full-time salary from a congregation. Certainly, they could. First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul demonstrates that it's the right of the evangelist, the person who is going to live preaching the gospel, to live by the preaching of the gospel but even Paul didn't always pr- use that right we find in second Thessalonians chapter 3 in second Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning at verse 7 he says for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you Not because we don't have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. The issue of being an evangelist or a teacher is not necessarily the issue of being paid by the congregation, but rather it's an issue of a person who has devoted their life to the teaching of the gospel The congregation recognizes that and the person recognizes that and even if they are working in the secular world to provide their daily needs, they recognize that evangelism for them is not just a volunteer work, something that they're going to try to fit in around all that they do on their real job. Rather, they're going to view their real job as basically all I'm doing with my real job is making money so I can do my real work of being an evangelist. So, it doesn't necessarily mean that all these guys were always fully supported by the church. But the congregation recognized this person as a teacher here. And we're not just talking about this person taught a Bible class every now and again. We're we're saying they recognize this person as a teacher. They preach, they teach, they lead us by going to the Word of God and helping us understand, and they recognize that. And, And a lot of times there were more than one. Paul himself would often take a company of people with him. You look in Acts chapter 20. We can look at numerous examples of this throughout the Scripture, but just Acts chapter 20 and verse 13, notice as Luke is writing, he didn't say, but Paul, he said, but we, going ahead. In other words, what what you have here is that Paul had folks that went with him. And you look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 3. He had met Timothy there, Derby and Lystra, and it says in Acts 16, verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul saw this fellow that he wanted to work with him and he said, you come with me. And so he'd grab folks up and he'd, he'd want them to be evangelists somewhere. And then other times, he would take those same folks who were with him and he'd leave them behind someplace. You look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. As he's writing to Titus, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so we see this issue of of the way this should work. It got past this just one evangelist mindset and recognized the need for for more than one person to be devoted to the teaching of the gospel and to be recognized for such within the congregation. The second thing that we need to overcome is the the mindset that says the preacher does the evangelizing. Uh, When you look at the Jerusalem congregation, we find out that There wasn't this concept, and for all this talk of full-time evangelists, and for all this talk of folks whose lives are dedicated to the teaching of the gospel, when you look in the Jerusalem church, it wasn't just those people who did the evangelizing. Interestingly, if you look in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Excuse me, except the apostles. Verse 4, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. This is not just talking about the evangelists who were scattered. It's saying those who were scattered. The Christians in general, as they were scattered from Jerusalem in this persecution, they went about preaching the word. They recognized their responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And one of the things that concerns me today in this system that that seems to have just almost unofficially become the way we do things is that, again, we have this kind of mindset of a professional class of evangelists out there. And they'll go to college and and be trained or they'll go to some training program or they'll work with some other preacher and they will be specifically trained in order to do the evangelizing. And then we as a congregation, wanting to be involved in evangelism, we're going to hire them to come and do that for us. And that is certainly not what was going on here. Did they have men that were devoted, their lives were absolutely devoted to teaching that? Yeah, absolutely. Did they have folks that were supported so that their lives could be devoted to that? Absolutely. But even the others whose lives were not just absolutely devoted to that recognized their responsibility to teach and to get that word out. And so when they were scattered, they were able to establish congregations all over the place because they recognized their responsibility. We need to remember First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, "But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. This is a statement made about Christians, not about preachers. We all ought to be able to give a defense for the hope that is within us. And if nothing else, We ought to be able to take people to the passages that convinced us. I mean, If if nothing else, I recognize that we all have questions we can't answer. We're going to talk about that tonight, actually, in the lesson. And so we get worried about teaching people the gospel because they might ask a question that we can't answer. Uh, Instead of thinking about that, let's just think about the things that we do know and the things that we have been convinced of based on Scripture and be able to give that as our defense because that's what this passage points out, that we need to be teaching and preaching that gospel. And I recognize that we here at the Franklin Church, we're intent on evangelism and not just for me to do it. I recognize that we as a congregation, the elders, and, and everybody in the congregation understands that, that That's the purpose, and we're all supposed to be doing that. That's why we've had Bible classes along those lines. In the the past two years, we've had two classes called What Do I Say When? All about helping us answer the tough questions that come up in personal evangelism situations. That's why, with all of our new Christians, that we want them to go through that series of four Bible classes. The fourth one is called God's Mission for Me. It's about taking even new Christians and letting them know about their responsibility for evangelism. What we just need to make sure is that we do not allow our good intentions and in our Bible classes to actually substitute for really doing the work of evangelism. I've seen lots of congregations I've visited, I've been in congregations where they have good intentions and they have classes, but it all stops there. We've got to put what we learn in the classes and put our good intentions and get them actually out there and get that evangelism going, starting with invitations. Invitations. We've got the invitation board back there. I haven't checked it since this morning, but before this morning, there was one invitation for dial of devotion and none for worship. I mean, that's one of the things that we can all be doing and then branching out from there. But we've got to make sure that good intentions and classes don't substitute for actually doing the work. We've got to let the rubber meet the road and everybody be involved in spreading the gospel. Because there are a lot of lost people around us. There's a lot of lost people out there. And we don't want them to go to hell. And the only way they're going to be saved is if somebody gets that gospel to them and it needs to be us working together, getting that out. The third thing that we recognize from the Jerusalem church and these New Testament churches, the mindset that that we need to overcome is this mindset that says the church has to train me mindset. Now, let me begin by saying, should the church train us and equip us? Absolutely. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11... Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul wrote, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. God has established the local congregation with certain roles and the object of those roles is to equip us to do the work of ministry. So certainly, a congregation should be involved in equipping and training and helping us be better workers for Christ. In fact, those who are full-time evangelists, those who are pastors and teachers, the elders, the bishops, that's their specific role. It's not to be out there doing all the work themselves, but to be training the whole congregation to be doing the work of ministry. That's the way God set it up. But one of the problems that's come about for a lot of folks is if the church is, is, not, is maybe not doing just a great job of training folks, maybe they haven't done well, uh, a lot of Christians start blaming the church. Well, you know, I would do more, but I just haven't been trained enough. Certainly, if a congregation is not doing their job, uh, the congregation is going to have to answer to God for that. But we as individuals have to realize that God doesn't allow us to just sit around and not do anything with our growth and our spiritual development, and then point the finger at the elders or the evangelists or the deacon or the Bible class teachers or the church in general. We have to be willing to develop on our own. If you look in Second Peter chapter 1. In Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, Peter, as he wrote to the individual Christians here, he's saying to them, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to individual Christians here and he's saying it is your responsibility to apply your diligence to grow and to develop spiritually. As Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, But in 1 Timothy 4, 7, "...have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness." Here he's writing to an evangelist. He says, look, even a full-time evangelist, it's not somebody's job somewhere to train you. You discipline yourself for godliness. Work on your own discipline. And we take a look at a passage like Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. In Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11, the Hebrew writer said, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Continuing on in the next chapter, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Basically, what we find here is that for us as Christians, it's our individual responsibility to get to the point that we can teach. Paul, The Hebrew writer, if it is Paul, says... You guys ought to have been teachers by now. But now you have to go back and be taught again. I recognize what that means is that not everybody ought to be a teacher right now. I'm not saying all of us here are able to be teachers right now. But what it does point out is that every single one of us at some point in our personal growth ought to um, become teachers. And what we recognize from this is that, you know, the fact is... I, I think we've tried pretty hard to equip people, and, and we, we have done, we are doing, we'll continue to do things to train and equip people, but, you know, even as a, as a congregation, if we haven't been doing everything we possibly could do, and we haven't specifically helped you, it is your individual responsibility to grow and develop. And we as individuals won't get to point the finger at the Franklin Church and say, look, they didn't train me. Because we have to develop on our own through the Word of God and grow. We've got to get past this mindset that the church has to train me before I do anything. And fourthly, finally, one of the issues that we see, and I, I bring this up just because I've seen this in the Brotherhood. I haven't heard any of this here, but just to make sure. You know, our preachers are supposed to stay here mindset. Why, we're supporting them and they're going off all the time. And they've got to stay here. And amazingly enough, among brethren, I've heard people come up with all kinds of rules that you can't find in Scripture. One person told a friend of mine, you know what, we really, despite the fact that we're not connected with other congregations, despite the fact that each church is autonomous, somehow every church ought to connect with every other church, and every preacher only gets to hold two meetings a year, and they have to all swap around and figure it out. How is that supposed to work, and where do you come up with that kind of rule in the Bible? And certainly, look, we're supporting this preacher. He ought to stay here. Why are we sending him off to this place to go off and try to help a church over there? Whether talking about a gospel meeting or whether talking about going overseas or or up north where there aren't so many churches. and Oh, we just get so upset because we're paying him and he's off teaching other people. But, you know, that's exactly the kind of thing that was happening in the New Testament. There was somebody who was an evangelist at a congregation and they were being sent off. And not just for weeks at a time, but for a lot of time. Uh, And by the way, I'm not saying this because I'm about to ask the elders to be sent off somewhere. I'm just showing that this is what happened in the Scriptures. Uh, When we take a look at the Jerusalem church, we, we find that the Jerusalem church, they had these evangelists and they had all these people trained up. And one of the great things about all this training that they had done and all this developing they had done is that when needs came up elsewhere, they were able to send somebody to help. Of course, we find in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 that when the persecution had arisen and folks had scattered, Philip went into Samaria. When the church was established there, the apostles, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. I just want you to think about how amazing this is. Back in Jerusalem, the church has just gone through this amazing persecution. Just about everybody has been kicked out of Jerusalem, and all that's left are the apostles and apparently a few other people. That would seem to be the time most that the church would say, look, we've got to keep our workers here. We've got work that we've got to be doing here. But Philip had gone down into Samaria, they started preaching, there was a church there, and the Jerusalem church, of course they had at this time 11 or 12 evangelists, hey, we'll send two of them off to Samaria and they'll be able to help out. We find the same thing when the Gospel got to Antioch. They sent Barnabas in Acts chapter 11 to help the congregation in Antioch. They were able to send these folks out and to do this this work. And when Peter and John left, we don't know exactly how long they were gone, but you take a look there in Acts chapter 8. After they were gone, in verse 25, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. I mean, so they were gone for enough time to be preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaritans, not, the, the Samaritans, not mentioning the fact that Peter himself seems to have gone a little bit longer because in Acts 9 and verse 32, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And then we find in verse 35 that he was at Sharon and then on down in Joppa as He raised Tabitha from the dead. So, they're sending these workers out to be able to help other congregations. And that's something that can be done when we work on the farm team, when we work on developing folks here. As they're developed up to work, we can send them out so that they can accomplish all kinds of work elsewhere and we can be involved in that. It's just an amazing thing. I'm not saying it's wrong for some preacher who's already in Africa to write us and say, hey, support me. But wouldn't it be great if we were developing people who stepped up and said, I know they have needs in Africa or in New York or, or, or some other foreign country and they say, hey, we'll send them. Uh, we can do that when we're developing folks like that. What, a, what an amazing thing. You take a look at Antioch. I'm really amazed at Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, In Acts chapter 13, we find in verse 1, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. They had five teachers there. Folks who were devoted to teaching the congregation recognized that. Then the Holy Spirit says to them in verse 2, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now I just want you to put ourselves in those shoes. Okay, I know you guys have to put up with me and you'd be happy for the Spirit to say, send Edwin someplace else. But if you had Paul and Barnabas, would we be happy with the Spirit for saying, take Paul and Barnabas and send them off somewhere? I don't think I would be. My first thought would well, wait a minute, we need them here. We've got works here for them to do. I mean, I know we've got Menas and Simeon and Lucius, but, but they're not Paul and Barnabas. But they did exactly what the Spirit said. Because they had these teachers that were there and because they had worked and developed folks to work within the congregation, they were actually able to take who, based on the rest of Scripture, we assumed to be two of the best teachers they had and send them off someplace else. And they were gone for, for months at a time and came back and then they leave again. Just, just an amazing thing that they were able to do because they had developed the farm team and they had developed folks within the congregation to be able to do the work. that If Paul and Barnabas were gone, they could continue doing that work. They could continue that because of what they had done within them. But you know, today, if the Holy Spirit, and, and certainly, don't get me wrong, I recognize that the Holy Spirit does not uh, use the gift of prophecy and give us this miraculous knowledge anymore. But if, perchance, the Holy Spirit were reveal to the elders of the Franklin Church that the full-time evangelists were supposed to go off. That would send us scrambling to try to hire another preacher. But they didn't have to do that in Antioch because they had developed folks within and, and, send, and so they could send them out and still do the work at home. You see how much better that is than the system that we have brotherhood-wide? I think that's what we need to be. I think that's what we want to be but it takes us being purposeful about it and making sure to develop the folks within. I'll tell you, one of the things that discourages me the most about the system that we have going on today is that because we hire and fire preachers and they look for jobs and then they look for other jobs, do you know how hard it is for the congregation and the preacher to ever feel like a team? I, I mean the fact is, I know... But there are a lot of you, uh, even the ones of you who like me, that you think, you know, we like Edwin, but one of these days he's going to leave. And what are we going to do then? Because that's what we've experienced all the way along. And I sit back and say, you know, uh, I'd like to stay here a long time, but I know that not everybody likes me, and so one of these days I'll probably get fired. Uh, What am I going to do then? And so there's always this kind of... This, this kind of distance despite how we try to say that we work together there's just always this kind of distance that the preacher he's him and we're us and preachers come and go And uh, am I the only one that has that feeling I don't think so I mean that's that's kind of the way we view it and it makes it really tough for us to be able to work together as a team but you know if we had a different system if we had a system that said we're developing folks here I mean that's uh, that's you know that's that's our boy who we've got up there and, and you know what? If we send him off, that's okay because we've got others who are going to be able to work because we're developing them and we're working them. And and then, if there are full-time preachers that are awesome as Paul and we go get them and they come and they stick around for a year and then they go off someplace else, the work will still continue on even when they're gone. And we won't have to worry about it. And and the work won't go up and down based on who's the one that gets up here the most. It'll continue on because we're developing folks within and we're working on the farm team not working with the class of professional free agents. And uh, I don't know. I just think that when we, we take a look at the Jerusalem church, there's something here that made them successful that we need to mirror if we want to be as successful as they were. I want you to look around us. Look around you at all these people here. This is the farm team. These are the folks that God expects us as a congregation to lift up and develop to be able to do the work. And whatever work that may be, that may be teaching the Bible classes, that may be preaching a sermon up here, that may be teaching home studies, it may be inviting, it may be taking care of the widows who are in need, it may be going and making sure that our brethren who are, you know, the work that we're doing with with the Hollands because of their health situation and making sure their grass is cut. Who knows what kind of work that's all going to involve. But it means developing and training up folks here to get that work done. And that's that's what we need to be doing. And I'm excited about it. And we're working towards that. But we all need to understand that's where we're going. Because I tell you what, that means that we all have to be willing to put our part in. And realize that it's not just about paying somebody else to do the work who's a professional at it. It's about us doing the work because we're a part of the team. I hope that lesson was helpful. As so We took a look at the Jerusalem church and what made them successful. One of the biggest keys is they did not follow a free agent system when it came to accomplishing the work within the congregation, even when it came to accomplishing the preaching within the congregation. If we're going to be able to mirror what they did, let's remember what we learned here. Four mindsets we have to overcome. One, we have to overcome the one evangelist mindset. Two, we have to overcome the preacher does the evangelizing mindset. Three, we have to overcome the church has to train me mindset. And four, we have to overcome the preacher is supposed to stay here mindset. I hope this was helpful to you and I encourage you to continue studying to learn about how the churches in the New Testament lived and grew and worked and worshipped because if we want to be what they were, faithful servants of God, we have to do what they did. If you have any questions about the Jerusalem Church, about Christ Church, about the Franklin Church, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone gave you this lesson. If so, let me encourage you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons and articles that you're free to download. The lessons are in audio and outline format. You may download those and use them in whatever way you believe will most glorify God and draw people closer to Him. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.